everybody. Welcome back to the Thrive in Fertility podcast. My name is Kathy Quillett. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and the owner of Tennessee Reproductive Therapy. I am super glad that you're back today. I hope you loved my interview with Stephanie Mae Wilson last week. She, oh, she's just a gem. I loved having her on and um, I hope that you were able to spend some time in her bookshop and her blog and everything just talking about IVF and how she was able to thrive during that. If you are new to the podcast because you were introduced through uh, Stephanie, welcome back. I am excited to have you back in this space and wherever you are this week, whatever has brought you and your story into uh being in the space with the Thrive Infertility podcast this week. Welcome. I know a lot of people like going to a fertility clinic the first time come in weary and wounded and just kind of exhausted and lonely. So know that we hold space for that here and just say you are welcome and you are seen and you are part of us. Um, Today, y'all, I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Um, she is a new friend of mine and a new friend of the podcast. And I think she's going to be a new friend of yours too. Today, I have Kyla Safir here with me. And um, let me just say welcome, Kyla. Thanks, Kathy. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited that you're here. Y'all, today we are uh, going to talk all about secondary infertility. And before we get that, I am going to allow Kyla to introduce herself because, uh, like I said, she's a new friend, but what I'm learning about her, I'm learning to love already. And it sounds like her background is really multifaceted. And so I think she's going to be better at explaining who she is. So Kyla, just tell us a little bit of who you are. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I am a mom of an only child, my wonderful six-year-old daughter. Mm. I have a background in early childhood education. Uh, currently, I'm a pre and postnatal yoga teacher. Love it. And I recently wrote a children's book called On Brighter Days about my daughter and my journey into becoming a family of three. Even though that wasn't our uh, intentions at first, mm. it is now a very happy place that we're in. Yeah. So, Kyla and I have bonded over having written children's books on secondary infertility. I don't talk a lot about it. Mine is out there on Amazon too. Um, but today it's all about on brighter days and I am happy to promote it because we need more resources for, you know, we're doing a lot. I'm sure as an early childhood educator, you're aware of all the kids books that are taking different forms on families that really look different or adoption, Mm -hmm. embryo donation, um, embryo adoption, I should say, or, uh, egg and sperm donation, Um, and secondary infertility is no different. Um, a lot of families are stopping at three because of now the world, or at least we're starting to talk about secondary infertility. And I think those kiddos need as many resources as everybody else. So before we get to Kyla's book, Kyla, do you mind sharing your story with us a little bit? I mean, obviously we talk on this podcast from time to time about how we all create meaning out of the trauma, the grief, the loss of primary or secondary infertility. But before we get to how you and your daughter have created your own meaning, do you mind sharing with us? Because there are those struggling with secondary infertility in this space. Um, can you share with us like how you got to mm-hmm. today? So um, just a little bit about my own family background. I'm the youngest of five kids. Okay. Um, I have two older brothers that are, we call them homemade and two sisters that are adopted. And then I, I love homemade. 
<laughs> so Stealing my brothers it. and I are homemade and I was actually a home birth uh, also. And then oh, my wow. two sisters are adopted. So, um, but I'm really close with them. They are literally, I, we text or talk almost every day. Um, so that's kind of my idea of family. And my, my husband is the youngest of four. So we just have these kind of big families in general and pretty close relationships. Um, and so I've worked in the early childhood, um, education field for many years and I, it was wonderful in my twenties and thirties, but it is exhausting working with young children. So I honestly didn't know before I met my husband that I wanted kids. I loved to travel. Um, I love teaching, but I just knew how much energy I seen the side of parenting, you know, working with parents. Um, but then I met my husband and things change. Um, (laughs) and we ended up starting to try for, um, a child and, I got pregnant the first try, which I, wow. I honestly like hate saying this because I know that is not the reality. And that is not the reality mm-hmm. for a second time for us. Um, but I, it was amazing. Our daughter was like kind of this miracle baby. We weren't even really wanting to get pregnant quite yet because we are living in a new city for my husband's medical fellowship. And mm-hmm. we didn't have a, a plan after that. <laughs> so I got sure. pregnant in August she was born in May and then we moved twice to our wow. third home. So while she was like by three months old, she'd traveled to all these cities. And Mm. um, so, yeah, we kind of had a crazy beginning, but it was a a pretty easy pregnancy. Um, I do have fibroids and I I knew about them before I got pregnant, Mm. um, but they were very small and didn't seem, didn't cause any problems with getting pregnant the first time. But during pregnancy, they feed off um, estrogen and blood flow. And so what happened was one became very big. Um, I had to get a lot more ultrasounds than typical just to make sure the location and was she going to be able to get out? Would she have growth restrictions? a lot of um, issues that come with fibroids um, and turned out she, it was in a good place that she, I could have a vaginal birth and um, she grew pretty big. It, it grew with her. We named it Leo because Leo myoma is the technical term. My <laughs> husband's a doctor. I watched Leo and my daughter, Fay Luna would watch them grow together um, on each ultrasound. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I gave birth um, at around when she was about two, I was in my late thirties and I said, okay, you know, we should probably start trying. And, this is just something that I don't even know if I really wanted another child. I mean, having a toddler is a lot of work, Mm. but I just kind of assumed, I assumed, you know, I have siblings. My husband has siblings. Um, This is just what you do. You just have another kid. And Mm. I live in the South where people have three to five kids. Um, And so we started trying and um, nothing happened for six months. And I just assumed I'd gotten pregnant the first time. It's going to happen again, this easy way. And they'd monitor the fibroid um, to see if it shrunk. And it did the biggest one. Um, But, and the doctors thought all my blood work looked fine. My husband looked fine at six months. We went in to get tested again and they just said, keep trying. So Mm -hmm. we kept trying. um, But at 37, 38, it starts to get, you know, everything diminishes, you know, all these resources. Um, but I wasn't ready to go see like a reproductive endocrinologist or anything yet. I just, I wanted to just, it happened naturally. Why can't it happen again? Um, but during this time, we also decided to get a pet, which uh, ended up being a dog. Um, we named her Nia, which means purpose in Swahili. And I love that. <laughs> she came to us for a purpose. She was literally the opposite of everything I read and planned. I was so excited to like finally have this other thing to love. You know, we, we weren't able to have a baby at the time. So I was like, okay, we're getting a dog. I'll mother this, this creature. And she turned out to be like this little devil baby dog that bit everything and tore up everything, ate my <laughs> yoga blocks and bit my daughter, you know, just puppy oh stuff. Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. She was literally tried every ounce of my patients. So it, oh I, my. it really opened my eyes. Like, Oh my God, I can handle, how do I handle a two-year-old and a puppy while my husband works all the time? Sure. Uh, now she's three and much calmer, but it, um, 
it was lit. I think she like literally was in our life for a reason. And during that mm-hmm. time we decided to stop trying because it was just so much. I mean, we weren't sleeping at night. She was up all the time and peeing and pooping in the crate, all the things that come with puppies <laughs> that come with puppies. Right. Yeah. My brother-in-law just got a puppy lab. It is so cute. Mm-hmm. But that thing, you don't want to live with it though. Right. It's not, you don't want that in your house. <laughs> no, I don't. You're right. And they, they do get easier. Luckily, thank goodness. Um, so right. that was a good learning, learning curve for us. But, um, so puppy came and then about a year and a half in my daughter had been asking for a sibling, like seeing people around her have kids. Uh, she loved pregnancy. She always wanted to be pregnant. She had her baby dolls and her dresses and oh. just kind of like relished in this. And she knew I taught prenatal and postnatal yoga I'd practice at home or she'd you know meet my students, things like that. So at about a year and a half into trying, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go to a specialist and see, you know, really what's going on. And um, I'm sure you've talked about all kinds of procedures and things, but they did a HSG yep. to see what was going on in um, my uterus and turned out that fibroid was blocking one of my fallopian tubes and it was still so big and um, causing the uterus to be misshapen. So they thought mm-hmm. the eggs, they couldn't implant. Um, and the doctor, while I was literally on the table, she said, okay, you're going to need uh, open myomectomy, which to remove the fibroid, mm-hmm. they cut you open. It's a, like a hospital stay plus a six to eight week recovery. Um, then wait six months and then have most likely IVF. Um, and then, you know, there's a small chance of a baby coming and I was 39 at the time. Mm. So all of this was just like, I went from being fertile to infertile in like a a appointment. So it was very devastating. I just didn't think that that was going to be it. And those options Mm. just, it wasn't very feasible for us with a small child, a puppy, my husband working, no family nearby. Um, and taking that time off of yoga and with the small chance of maybe having a baby, it just wasn't in the cards for us. So mm-hmm. we made, we made the really difficult decision to just kind of stop trying um, at that point um, and kind of just let go. Um, mm-hmm. And that was right before 2020. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Actually, right. Like I'm, if we had started that process and then it, you know, got disrupted, like so many people, I know there were so many people doing IVF or doing these procedures and, and all of it got shut down. It's like so heartbreaking. Right. Um, so I am, you know, it kind of happened at a time where I, I was better at once 2020 mm-hmm. hit and everything kind of shut down. It was like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where we ended up. Um, and then, but it takes time to like really let go. And mm-hmm. there were still people getting pregnant around us. And, Which is so, and infertility, secondary infertility doesn't hurt any less. Right. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we, you know, it's almost like this grief Olympics that we all participate (laughs) in. And it's like, well, my, your miscarriage didn't hurt as bad as my stillbirth or your, Mm -hmm. you know, secondary infertility doesn't hurt as bad as my primary infertility, because at least you have a kid. Yeah. But what we, what we talk a lot about in this space, Kyla, is like the idea of how we all have this reproductive narrative. And it's Mm -hmm. like, even your daughter right now is she's writing her own reproductive narrative. She's putting a baby dress up her. She's mm-hmm. rehearsing what her, what mm-hmm. she probably feels her feminine role one day will be. Mm-hmm. She's trying it on for size. She's mm-hmm. playing the part. She's rehearsing it. Eventually she gets older, right? Like we all do. It's going to be like, okay, well, you know, this is going to mature with age with me. 
So mm-hmm. maybe she babysits or becomes a soccer coach or a camp mm-hmm. counselor or a ballet teacher or gymnastics whatever. coach. That's what she gym- <laughs> gymnastics coach. Well, perfect. Yeah. Um, my son will ask me sometimes, like, Mom, what what would you have been if you weren't a therapist? And I was like, Buddy, listen, the story I was writing was that I was gonna become a soccer referee so that I could give people red cards because I played soccer and the parents were obnoxious and I wanted to give them all red cards. So that's what I was going to grow up and be. So the fact that she wants to be a gymnastics coach, I say, yeah. and a mother of like 10, she wants to have like 10 babies. She said, Oh, so well, she's in the like, South too. You. Earlier you said three to five. And I was like, in the South, it's three to 10. Yeah. Exactly. Right? No, amen. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Okay. Even got the amen. So you are really from yeah. the South now. You've been indoctrinated. <laughs> uh, y'all, y'all know. Y'all know. But for people who get to have a successful pregnancy, who's reproductive narrative doesn't go unscathed. It becomes a reproductive trauma. What Mm -hmm. we say is that moment, like when, for me, it was like, I woke up from surgery like you did. And they said, I'm so sorry. You have endometriosis and it's everywhere. Mm. And whatever that moment is for some people, it's an ultrasound room Mm -hmm. when the baby doesn't have a heartbeat for yours. Mm. It was, I went to sleep fertile and I woke up infertile Mm -hmm. and your fertility infertility moment was you said it. And I wrote it down early. Why can't it happen again? That was your fertility story. Why can't Mm -hmm. it happen again? Mm -hmm. It happened easy the first time as with so many secondary infertility stories, like primary infertility, a lot of times happens easily. (laughs) Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. How well, I never even heard the term secondary infertility. It's not talk. Literally, I'd never heard the term. And even the doctors weren't using that, that the verbiage with me. My friend who's mm. a doula was like, oh, you have secondary infertility. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never, I didn't even know that existed. I knew about primary because it's much more prevalent and talked about and mm. um, people without kids. You can see that that's, you know, their story, but it's so invisible because a lot of people do have one child. So, um, and that, that I learned through my own journey that, of infertility cases are secondary, which blew my mind. I mean, I don't know if that's also what research you say, but. Yeah. So tell me how, how did you experience the grief around this diagnosis? Mm -hmm. How did you and your medical husband experience the grief about this? Cause I'm sure that was different. His was probably a Mm -hmm. little bit more cerebral. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. how did you and your daughter experience? Because talking about you and your daughter, that's how on brighter days, your book really Mm -hmm. was birthed. Exactly. Um, so, so talk to me about grief for each one of you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm so glad you're saying that too, because I didn't, I didn't know to grieve. Like I, Mm -hmm. it was such a shock kind of, I explained. And, um, the night after I got the same day that I got my diagnosis, I was teaching a prenatal yoga class, which was a bit surreal, but I was the only mm. one in my town teaching it. So I felt bad canceling, but it was really, you know, going from a place where you're told you can't have kids mm-hmm. to a bunch of a room full of moms with babies in their bellies. It was a little bit difficult. Um, so after class, I called my sister who um, she's an adoptee uh, and works with adoption, um, mm. connecting families to their birth families. Oh um, my gosh. So That's yeah, awesome. I called. I call and she's a social worker and therapist. So she does all these things, but I'm, I told her the story, what, what happened. And I was like, okay, so let's talk about adoption. Dawn. I'm like, tell me this, you know, what happens? How do I do this? And she said, Kyla, slow down, mm-hmm. give yourself time to grief. You just got this huge bomb dropped on you basically. I mean, she said in different words, but 
give yourself time and space. Don't try to jump into something else. You know, she, she saw that, that's, that's what I needed to do. And um, because she's well, a professional and my sister. Well, life fell off its axis that day. Yeah. Like, unless somebody tells us, I remember after my first miscarriage, I called my boss and I was like, I'll be at work in, at work in two days. Give me one day. <laughs> Never in my mind did I think of what the work that, not even the work of like actually losing the pregnancy, but mm-hmm. the work of grieving it. Yeah. And we can't pick ourselves right up from that. We have to grieve. So she gives you this permission slip. And what do you do? Yeah. I mean, that night I definitely, and I, I, um, come home and I had my, I called my husband right away and he actually was able to come home and we just cried on our bed together when I told mm. him that this is really what's going to happen. And, um, and we're very open with our daughter. So we told her about the fibroid and I had images. So I showed her, mm. um, and she knew about it. Like we show her, her ultrasounds and she's, so she's love seen it. it grow. Yeah. She's very aware. And she calls it my, her, my fibroid. She wants it removed. <laughs> she wanted <laughs> it out. But, um, so yeah, so that was, um, that was, yeah, it was shocking. And I think my husband, the way he frames it is he said, if we hadn't had our daughter or had a child, he would feel much more, more differently. Like let's mm. do, do more to have this child. But because we have her and she brings us like immense joy and she's literally, I wanted a girl. I want to raise a little feminist, a future, you know, <laughs> leader of this, the free world. Yes. And that is oh. totally her personality. I love um, it. He said, yeah, if that wasn't a reality, he'd, you know, maybe we would talk about other options and things, but, um, and he, he's a neurosurgeon. So he works all the time. Like literally he's on call for a week straight. That's his new schedule. And so we don't see him for a week. So it's like, I would be taking on so much if we did have another child and kind of just coming to terms with how blessed we are. Like we have this great kid, we have this semi-crazy dog, you know, our Hmm. life is, you know, manageable. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it's it still, it was hard. And mm. we just, I had saved everything from her, you know, babyhood. I was assuming we'd have other kids. So like having to go through that closet and give away her clothes mm. and her toys and her, my maternity clothes and all these things that just, I imagined would happen. Yeah, It was cathartic, but really sad. And I remember I knew a lot of pregnant people. So I was giving them to my students mm. and my neighbors and when my neighbors came over and we just cried together, you know, she just like gave me a big hug and I kind of let it out, but um, mm. it was necessary. I needed to like have that process to really like let go and um, kind of come to terms with this new reality. So you Kyla don't live near family, right? Your support system isn't Correct. there. I'm hearing about friends, neighbors, supporting you, students, supporting you all who are pregnant, obviously. What was it like to tell family that, you know, you're both from bigger families. How did that, mm-hmm. how did that work for you? Yeah. I mean, cause a lot of people probably tell their family, okay, we're trying to, you know, I we told them when we started trying for another one, mm. kind of just getting them mentally prepared. We're very close with our families. Um, yeah. And I learned it was in August when I had that doctor's appointment and I was going home the end of August. So I was like, I really want to do this in person, which is such a big thing to tell your family. And right. um, I'm kind of the, one of my brothers has kids, but no one else does. So I was kind of like the next hope to have more grandbabies and, um, kind of just grow our family. We're very, we love kids. We love, you know, getting together. We're very, um, big on family. So, um, yeah, I told my, I told my parents, I told a few close friends in person and they were very, I mean, everyone was so supportive. It was really nice, Mm. but it was still, I just told them it wasn't, I didn't post it on social media. I didn't put out there in the world, um, until this book and it is, it's very, you feel very ashamed. You feel very Mm. isolated. I didn't know anyone else 
going through this. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I knew a lot of people getting pregnant, but not. And a lot of people who I know, a lot of the moms who had primary infertility told me about their IVF journeys and things like that. But IVF wasn't even a beginning option for me. Like they had to do so much more to even get to that point. So I could relate in some ways, but also it just was different, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, luckily our family and friends, my mom, she, so she had a stroke in 2015 and that's oh kind gosh. of what pushed our timeline up to try to get pregnant. She was like, I want to meet my grandbaby, you know, grandbaby from, I had just got married a year before. And so that's what kind of um, wanted it kind of pushed us up a little faster to start trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was really disappointed because she really wanted more, but again, I've learned like, it's not their journey. That's not, you know, they right. can, family can mm-hmm. say and do whatever, but it's not necessarily going to make it happen. Um, and I found out when bringing this up with my family, my brother and his um, now ex-wife had tried for, they tried IVF like nine times and it nine. Never oh yes. my gosh. And my sister had tried before and she couldn't get pregnant. So I'm not sure if there's like infertility in our family, you know, like now it's starting to seem like maybe it's more prevalent than we even had talked about. Um, and my mom's sure. one of five. She's a twin. And oh her my. twin, my mom had five kids, gave birth three and adopted two, but her twin only had one child. So also mm. like, you know, there's all these things that come kind of come up and you're wondering, was this just uh, not discussed? Did they not know, you know, they didn't have hey. as good technology, but. Well, they didn't have technology. IVF is 40 years old, which mm-hmm. means the research is a little bit older, but we're, I mean, I did mm-hmm. my journey 12 years ago, 10, 12 mm-hmm. years ago. I go back and forth with the number. Yeah. Um, but the, Facebook barely existed. Mm-hmm. All the blogs, all the reels, all the information, it wasn't public. Mm-hmm. And I remember so desperately being like, I so badly want a person to say, uh-huh, I get it, Kath. Yeah. And they weren't anywhere. And so you start to become a detective. Where are all Mm -hmm. these people in my life? Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe it was more prevalent, but we just haven't talked about it. Now we're putting Mm -hmm. data to it Mm -hmm. and there's research about it and interventions. I mean, by the time that our children, God forbid, they actually need reproductive interventions. Oh my gosh. They're going to be able to have like a robot uterus or (laughs) something. (laughs) I mean, all the advancements that have been made in our lifetime. Yeah. Right. Um, it's just wild. But so I also we, wonder why is it so prevalent? We don't like, that's not often talked about. Like why I asked my doctors, why do I have fibroids? Why are they, why will they come back? Like, that's what they said. If I could remove, like what, why is this happening? You know, like, is it environment? I definitely think, you know, there's all these plastics in our environment, all these things that weren't there 50 years ago. So I'm not sure. I haven't done a ton of research in terms of like how much more it is than, is it because we can identify it more that it's more prevalent or were people always infer, you know, have all this infertility challenges or. But you know what people were told if you're struggling, I mean, think we've only been able to talk about sex on television (laughs) since Lucille Ball did it on I Love Lucy in the 60s. Oh, wow. Okay. And so if we can't talk about sex publicly or anything Mm -hmm. romantic, Mm -hmm. then certainly we're not going to talk about when our uterus or our swimmers are not functioning really well. And so my mom had a stillbirth and some infertility and a first trimester miscarriage in the seventies. And the message was start trying your next cycle. You'll be fine. It happens. So it was happening, but we didn't talk about it. Even when Mm -hmm. it talked about like, like my family grew through adoption, your nuclear family grew through adoption Mm -hmm. where we need 
uh, egg donor, uh, donation or embryo adoption, like Mm -hmm. those parents in the eighties and nineties were told never tell your kids Hmm. because ancestry and 23 and me should have never (laughs) been a thing. And so I think that, I mean, is it becoming more prevalent because plastics in the world or whatever else contributing factor, the medicines we take, the vaccines we take, Mm -hmm. that's not an anti-COVID vaccine statement. Um, But is it because of all that? Sure. We're not going to know that data for a really long time. Is it because we're finally reporting stuff? Mm -hmm. Probably. Right. That's very much a contributing factor because Mm -hmm. for a really long time, our parents, our grandmother's generation was told you're fine. Just get over it. Try Mm -hmm. again. And certainly Mm -hmm. don't tell anybody else because even talking about sex, let alone when sex goes awry is wrong. Mm-hmm. not sex goes awry, but when sex doesn't yield you a Produce child, children, right? Right. So it'll be interesting to see what all the record books, I mean, not like it's Guinness book of world records, but like the medical data, yeah. maybe that's something your husband can do when he gets tired of, you know, neuroscience. Yeah. Oh, that's my, that's my journey. I'm like, I need to go into public health and like do some research, like why Perfect. and in Perfect. like different neighborhoods. Like we grew up on the South side of Chicago and Michelle Obama grew up in the same area. And I'm like, she had infertility issues. Like, can we look at data for different communities and like water sources? I'm curious to see because it's really not discussed very much. I hear a lot. I'm listening to a lot of things about infertility, but not why, like, why is this happening? I mean, I know somebody who grew up and I'm going to be really vague about this, but she grew up in a city in the South that was a lower income Mm -hmm. and like 60% of the people there struggle with infertility. Right. Like that is something's going on and they don't have access to care. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. Anyways, if you ever interview Michelle Obama, tell her I'd like to have her on the podcast. Um, Although I don't think I'm going to get through her security. So I'll let you do that heavy lifting. We went to the Um, same high school. So I'm like hoping at some point, you know, she was a few years ahead of me, but like, Ooh, some reunion some year I'll just, you know, drop by. (laughs) There you go. Just be like, I'm a really big fan of this high school. Oh, Michelle, you're here. Yeah. Here's my book. Hey, <laughs> there you go. And she'd be like, I wrote one too. I, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Last week, the girl that was on talked about, um, Michelle Obama's book also. That's nice. funny. Yeah. Okay. So something that we talk about a lot, a lot in the, in the world of the field of grief is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. Now it was originally intended for those that were dying mm. and modern day therapy has, well, may, some people would fight not done correctly, but really brought it into stages of grief that we experience mm-hmm. when uh, we lose a loved one or have a loss, like secondary infertility, inability to have a second child, whatever. And that's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now I'm not saying like, we need to follow that strictly or that grief is ever linear, but something in the grief field also that we are kind of trying to add on to this stages of grief that are really, really widely known is the idea of creating meaning. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. something that I think in the Thrive Infertility podcast and just in general, as I work with people through the stages of reproductive and maternal mental health is how are you creating meaning for yourself? Now, mine became writing books and mm-hmm. gearing my therapy. I was already a therapist, but I didn't mm-hmm. do reproductive and maternal mm-hmm. mental health. Then this is a way for me to create meaning so other people don't feel alone. Yours was, well, the first step of you creating meaning and helping you and your daughter grieve was on brighter days. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the book, how it became to be 
and kind of land that plane and talking to us about how we can get it. Yeah, sure. Um, and also thriving during, you know, infertility, these journeys. And uh, for me, it was writing this book, turning this pain into creativity. Mm. Um, therapy was my number one. I mean, you're a therapist, you know, that is, well, that was my sister told me. Yes. And, and finding a, someone who deals with infertility too. Like I put that in my description of who I was looking for because it is a very specific type of. It is a one. very specific. And here's the commercial mm-hmm. I always get, yeah. obviously Tennessee reproductive <laughs> therapy in Tennessee. It is hard to find a good infertility therapist. So if mm. you're listening to this and what, if you're in the other 49 States that I cannot treat in, yeah, if you need support, reach out and I will help you find a good one. Yes. Keep going. Exactly. Sorry. Yes. No, therapy is number one. I'd say definitely mm. get there to help you process these feelings. They're really complex right. and name these emotions. I didn't know it was a trauma. I didn't know to let myself grieve. Like that just mm. wasn't part of my vocabulary. I, you know, I just didn't know. Um, and giving yourself that space um, to, to grieve that huge loss. So mm. my therapist said, um, when I was telling her, my daughter's asking every day for a, a sibling. I can't give it to her. Um, which is heartbreaking as many parents would understand. Right. Um, she said, write down those feelings and help your daughter process them because she's facing a huge loss too. Mm. Like it, it's not just about you, mom, like it's hers too. And that's what we did. We just kind of talked about it. And then I um, did a PowerPoint. I know they're called mm. something else nowadays, but I'm from the eighties, nineties. Keynote? I don't know. Maybe, or deck, can we call it deck? But that's... <laughs> It's, I, I did pictures I and words. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but we made, we just found clip art that looked like it. We put some words to it. And then um, I met a woman who had written a book, um, self-published, and she wanted to be a hybrid um, publisher. And so I told her the story and she's like, yeah, let's make this into a book. This doesn't exist out there. Again, like besides your book, there's literally no other literature for young children to help them process this um, this loss. And or for adults, I found one ebook, literally one, I need to write my story because it was one ebook from this woman who had secondary infertility. And then in the epilogue, she has a second kid, which was heartbreaking because I was like, I'm with you. I feel you. I'm, this is it. I, I can no. you know, like relate. And then she's like, oh, and, and she like, has, there's a little disclaimer, but I'm like, wait, what? So no, we don't know. Yeah. So we need more books out there <laughs> yes. um, for children and for women and families mm. going through this. Yeah. Um, and then finding community. Um, once we kind of found out that this was our journey, we're going to have one child, which I just didn't know. I, I didn't have any friends that were only children or I have one, but her dad passed away when she was little. So that's why. Um, but all my f- friends and family, it's like, everyone has big families. And I just didn't know anyone was my daughter going to be okay, you know, without mm-hmm. a sibling. Um, I found an only child group. So it's moms, mostly moms, um, Mm -hmm. that that all we do is chat about all the, you know, the benefits and what's going on with our only children. And, you know, there's some people with younger kids and older kids. So it's been really gratifying knowing like, oh my God, this is wonderful. We need to normalize only child families to also make secondary fertility moms not feel as, I don't know, desperate and like so heartbroken that this expectation didn't get met. Yeah. Um, so, and just knowing like only one time potty training, you know, one time, you know, having teaching your child to sleep through the night, um, yeah. those kind of things, traveling, I'm about to travel with my daughter on Wednesday or this week, um, by myself. And it's so doable. I'm like, it's just me and her, like, and now she's sick. So it's a little, she can carry out luggage and things like that, but finding these benefits, um, mm. in this family that we didn't necessarily plan to look this way. Yeah. Um, and getting a pet, we know it can be challenging, but having that, having your child have this empathy for another creature, um, Mm -hmm. 
And also like her and the dog, like they kind of fight sometimes over toys like siblings do. And they oh. sleep in the same room. My daughter has a bunk bed and they share a bed. And I love it. It has really been nice. She calls her her sissy. And like she, a lot of our neighbors, almost everyone has siblings. She's the only only child on our block, but no one else has a dog. So mm. they think it's like so cool. Like they, they think like, you know, she's the lucky one and they all want pets. And mm. um, I, I think her coming on board too. She's really enjoying being an only child. She gets all our resources, you know, yeah. she to to any classes she wants to take. She gets all of our attention. Um, and she's not, I mean, she's being really balanced, honestly. Like she's very social yeah. and she can play independently. Um, She's not like the, the stereotypes you hear, unfortunately, of only children being these spoiled brats kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But we're lucky that she has close, we have close neighbors that are like siblings. And that's awesome. Um, but then she can come home and have all the toys to herself, <laughs> all the resources to herself. Well, and you don't have family there. I think a really beautiful yes. thing that you can do, like we don't have family around here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we didn't for a long time. We do now. My brother-in-law has since moved close, but mm friends become like family. And so you adapt. Part of all of this is learning to Mm -hmm. be adaptable. And that's what she's learned. I mean, through the dog who is no longer a Satan dog, as you call it, (laughs) who is quietly (laughs) sleeping on the bed behind you. Very, very sweetly and innocently. I I might Uh, add, but she also like her grief was writing this book with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And being in, being part of the process. And she actually, now she knows that I'm writing books for children and she <laughs> wrote a book about first day of school at her Montessori school. Um, and actually know. my publisher was actually over today because we worked together a lot. Um, and I showed it to her and she's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make this book for her. <laughs> so oh my she gosh. might be an author as well. <laughs> I love it. So Kyla, tell us about Brighter Days. Who's it for? Yeah. Uh, what's it about? I, you know, you and I thumbed through it earlier and it seems really inclusive of lots of family types. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening and think, is my family going to be represented in this? Uh, I can't say every family is yeah. because I haven't read every page. <laughs> um, but I know that you were really intentional Kyla with including and representing a lot of different family types. So before we wrap up today, tell us about on brighter days. Yeah, so the book focuses on um, only child families, um, mm. which again aren't out there as much as they should be books for right. only children. Um, and it it starts with the idea of kind of having a loss, like really wanting a sibling or baby in mm. mommy's belly, but that can't be like let's enjoy the day out in the city or things like that. It has rhythm and rhyme, which is great for young readers. Um, mm. It's for ages three and up, um, and it shows families, single moms. It shows families of every race. It shows. Uh, same sex families because only child mm-hmm. families come in all different shapes and sizes as well. Boy, do they. Um, yeah. So um, I really want to represent and like you said, be inclusive and show the diversity because representation matters. Like I want my daughter to see herself in this book. I want every other only child for whatever mm-hmm. reason to see themselves represented as well. I, and isn't that so awesome? <laughs> I want every child to see themselves represented in this book. because families come in all different shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. now. And uh, I think that's really great. So where can we find the book? And as we wrap up today, tell us how we can find you on social media. Where's your website? Uh, You mentioned this book's going to be on Barnes and Noble soon. Mm -hmm. Tell us how we get it. Yes. Perfect. Um, So the paperback copy is at my website, kylasafirbooks.com. It's K-Y-L-A. Mm-hmm. S is in Sam, A, P is in Peter, H I R 
books.com. Um, that's also my Facebook or my, um, excuse me, my Instagram page is Kyla underscore Sophia underscore books. Um, and then my Facebook page is Kyla Sophia. So it's all my name. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gotten too creative yet. Um, um, that's okay. That's how people are going to find you. Yeah. They're going to know me and uh, it's an right. unusual name. So you, there's not two of me don't, and I have three middle names, so there's no duplicates. Three, wow. All right. <laughs> I'm the youngest. They just threw in all the rest of the relatives into my name. Perfect. Um, yeah. And then soon we'll have the hard copy available on Barnes and Noble. And um, my next book we're going to release it hopefully in the fall also on Barnes and Noble. Yay. Yeah. That's awesome. Any preview about what that one's going to be about? Yeah. So I keep finding these um, holes in the market and um, I was teaching at, I've taught at multiple nature preschools. And when I look for first day of school books, or I like to read at the beginning of the school year books that introduce children to what school is going to look like there were none that looked like that. There's all these traditional ones in a classroom with a teacher at the head of the class and desks and, you know, traditional toys in a preschool, but nothing for a nature preschool. So I'm working on that right now. Yay. (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) Trademark. Seriously, nobody stole that idea, but in all reality, it's going to come out in just a couple of months. Well, that's awesome. Kyla, thank you for being here and for sharing your story of secondary infertility, doing so vulnerably. I know this is relatively new for you to share it out in the open. You shared it with Mm -hmm. your family, but not really anywhere publicly until on brighter days came out. Um, So thank you for telling us about it here. I'm sure whoever is listening and whatever, you know, piece of workout equipment they're on right now, some woman or, you know, couple is uh, bobbleheading along saying like, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know secondary infertility would weave itself into my story. I thought I was a fertile person, Mm -hmm. Um, but then I'm not. And how do we deal with this as a couple? How do we deal with this uh, also with our child? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a really big push around emotional intelligence with, with children and raising a generation like that. So I think giving them books, equipping them with books to be able to uh, see themselves places equally, but also, um, exploring the hard topics, right. It's not just about Clifford, the big red dog anymore. Although <laughs> I think he probably did have some, like, you know, what I call Danny Tanner moments, those moments <laughs> like on full house when the piano starts to play and, you know, that's when the he big was, lessons He was a special needs dog. There's no dog that dies. Like something is going on. He got some growth hormones or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's right. awesome. Maybe he took the same things as Lance Armstrong. Am I allowed to say mm-hmm. that? He's probably not <laughs> listening to this podcast. Yeah, right, dog. <laughs> right. And anyway, in any event, thank you for being here and for contributing to the bookshelves of uh, families who, who need uh, really individualized books for their kids. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. I really appreciate all that you do and thriving in infertility. That's such a great, you really just shifted my mindset once I started listening to your podcast. So thank you. Wow. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Thrive Infertility. I hope that you go uh, look her up. Uh, Kyla's website and everything is going to be in the show notes and where to find her in all the social interwebs. Um, I hope that you, if you're experiencing secondary infertility, you know, I, I think after COVID, I had a real big emphasis on Christmas shopping and everything, shopping local and shopping small, um, (laughs) and not just giving to, you know, target or whatever. They have enough money in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I love supporting rising authors, um, as, as even you add to your bookshelf. So go find the book and support it and share it and love it and leave good reviews for it. Um, I hope that you all have a great week and I hope you all go out and thrive.
Bye, y'all.